0: Welcome to the Valley of Community Church podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Parenting in the 21st Century. We are living in a world that is rapidly changing due to pandemic confusion, social media, smartphones, divisive media, racial issues, and an ever-changing culture. Because of this, raising a child in Christ and preparing them for the future can be very difficult. In this four-part series, we'll take a look at God's Word and cast a vision for how we can raise our kids to their own faith in the 21st century. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Good morning. Welcome. So glad that all of you are here. My name is David Siler. I'm the student pastor here at Valleybrook. This morning, we're going to continue our series of parenting in the 21st century. Um, Just a note, if you are not a parent, this still applies to you. You know, this is basically principles of scripture that we can apply to our lives and as parents we can apply specifically to parenting. So as a student pastor, I've been a student pastor, worked with student ministry for over sixteen years, and I've learned a lot about teenagers from all kinds of different backgrounds and parenting strategies and financial situations and all that. So I've learned a lot about teenagers through those 16 years. Um, And I've seen a lot of different styles of parenting. Especially early on, I thought, you know, that's the type of parent I would wanna be or I wouldn't do that with my kids. But honestly, like I didn't know because I didn't know the whole situation that they were going through at home and how things went and all that. So all that to say, currently I am a parent of a child who is about to turn three years old. So I'm pretty new to the parent game, but I learn a little bit more every single day. Um, So my son, his name is Oliver. My wife and I adopted him a few years ago. And honestly, before Oliver, for the most part, I avoided children at all costs. Um, Pretty much between, like, before the age of six especially, I was scared of them. Now, people, a lot of people are like, you know, scared of teenagers. And they're like, I don't know how you work with teenagers. We're so scared. We avoid teenagers. Like, that was me with children. Teenagers, that was kind of like my common ground. I was used to it. Amber said that maybe the reason for that is because I still have the sense of humor of a middle schooler. And that's just kind of at home and maybe I never really grew up. Which is probably to a certain degree true because I still wear the same Clothes that I wore when I was in middle school and high school, the same kind of style, the same type of shoes, like, all that. I never really kind of grew up in some of those ways. But again, like, children under the age of six, I was scared. And, and to a certain degree, I still am. So a couple of years before we had Oliver, we were visiting Amber's family, and I held my niece, who was almost a year old, and that was the first time that I had ever held a baby. Before that point, I never had. I had avoided it, and it was like, no, 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 that's okay, I don't, I don't want to. I can't explain exactly why. Maybe I was scared of bad smells coming, maybe it was scared of being puked on, maybe it was, I was afraid I would drop them, I, I don't know. But uh, even to this day, I have only held a total of, four children, counting my son. Um, and I was talking to Amber and I was like, I wonder like, how long I've actually held a baby, uh, not including Oliver, I've held Oliver like pretty often. But I wonder like, how long have I actually held a baby in my whole life? And I was like, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. She's like, 10 max. So, so one of these four babies, I, um, Amber was, was babysitting and watching and Oliver was asleep. The other baby was asleep and started crying and didn't want to wake up Oliver, so I carried him from the crib to Amber, and that was like the whole extent of it. So it was probably about 15 seconds, you know, for that one child. So um, to this day, I've only held a total of four babies. Before Oliver, I had never changed a diaper, and I was honestly like kind of proud of that. Um, and so just a side note, a few days ago as I was kind of working through this, I asked the question, I was like, I wonder how many diapers my dad has changed like in, in his whole life. My parents, they watched Oliver for a week while we were gone. You know, they visited a few times since we've had Oliver and I'd never seen my dad change Oliver's diaper. It was always my mom who kind of stepped in and did it. So I'm just thinking, has my dad ever even changed a diaper? I'm Like, surely he has. So I called my dad and I said, Dad, random question for you. He said, all right. And I said, how many diapers have you changed? He's like, in my life? I said, yeah. And he he told me kind of the number that he thought, and then I said, if I asked Mom, would she say the same thing? And he said, I don't know. Find out. So I called my mom, too. And I said, how many diapers has... Has dad changed. And we concluded that he's changed around 50 in his entire life. And I was like, well, how many of those were really dirty diapers? And he said, probably five, maybe 10. So I was like, I didn't feel so bad that up until I had Oliver, I had never changed a diaper. Like that was kind of normal because my dad has barely changed any. And that's, you know, between me and Oliver and My parents also have a goddaughter that they've watched several times, so I'm like, my dad's changed probably like 50 max. So anyway, like all this to say, before we brought Oliver home, I was scared, I was out of my element, I knew nothing about parenting, like I felt like to a certain degree I would be good, like once he hits like 12 or 13, but that's a long ways to go, so I was totally out of my element, didn't know what to expect. I was scared, I was disgusted by changing diapers. I was scared that in holding a baby, I would probably drop him and like crack his skull or something like that, I was like, I was out of my element, but I wasn't worried because Amber had helped raise um, her best friend's kids. She watched them, you know, day after day when her friend had to work and spent time over at her house all the time before we were married. So she had spent a ton of time with kids between the age of like one and five. She was with them pretty much daily, so, and she had changed plenty of diapers. So I was totally comfortable, I wasn't scared because I knew that I had her. Now this doesn't mean that we were ready to raise our own children. You know, there was no parenting classes. There's no, you know, chapter in the Bible that says, hey, this is all you need to do to raise to raise kids and to raise kids right. So this is, you know, kind of a, a process for those of you who are parents. Maybe you even have kids who are adults. And it's still kind of a process figuring out how to deal with them as adults. Maybe you're like, I'm never going to have kids. I mean, you could be surprised. But... Um, all this to say, as we're going through this series, there are no like, you know, step-by-step processes or perfect things that you could do, but everything we're going to talk about is things from Scripture that will help us as parents raise kids in Christ and as people, as Christians, live the life that God wants us to do. So again, over the last three years, I've learned a lot about parenting I continue to learn a little bit more and more every day. And for those of you who are parents, you know that a lot of it depends and it's different from kid to kid. But I wanna give you um, just a little bit of perspective on what a day in the life with my son Oliver is like. So we'll see the first picture and this really just shows you how cute my son is. And a lot of times people will look on Instagram or Facebook and they're like, oh, your child is so cute, he's so awesome and he's so great. Well, I want to give you a little bit more perspective as the day goes on. So let's see the second one. So this picture is Oliver. He's probably dancing to a song or a video that he's watching on YouTube with numbers and um, and letters. and Or maybe he's coming up and saying, basically play the same video over and over and over again, which commonly happens as well. So before we go on to the next picture, um, I wanna say this, one of the biggest things that I've learned is a child comes into the world with one agenda. You know, a child when when they're born, they don't know a lot, they can't ask for, you know, specific things, but their one agenda is, basically, what is in it for me? I want my way. I want it now, I'm gonna cry, I'm gonna scream, because I have to have it now. That's even from when they're a baby. It's like I have to have my diaper changed now. I wanna be held like right now. They have that one agenda. What's in it for me, I want my way. Andy Stanley says, from day one, children say, if I cannot get my way, I will get in your way. If I can't get it right now, like I'm gonna let you know and I'm gonna keep you from doing what you wanna be doing. so let me show you some more, some more pictures. Number three, so this is Oliver's kind of phase right now of continually swishing water and milk around in his mouth. And that can be for anywhere from 10 seconds to three minutes. And a lot of times, he just ends up spitting it all out instead of finally swallowing it. So that's kind of a, a phase we're dealing with now. Let's see the next one. This is a very common thing as well. He likes to play in the dog's food bowl and take all the food out. He likes to drop food into the water bowl. He likes to like slosh his hands around in the water and pour out the water. So this is one of those little mischievous looks like, oh, I'm caught. Or maybe it's now, oh, you're looking at me. So I've gotten what I have gotten what I want. Let's see the next one. This is just more Mischief. I don't know what he actually found or how he got it to the couch, but, but there we are. See the next one. So here we have Oliver screaming and crying. Most likely this is because his favorite show or video was turned off, or maybe he just wanted more Cheez-Its or fruit snacks and didn't get them because he had already had two bowls of Cheez-Its and fruit snacks. Um, but either way, this especially proves the statement that even at two or three, the child has to get their way and the child has that, um, desire and that is their situation where it's like my way or I'm going to get in your way and I'm going to let you know that this is what I want. So now let's see number seven. Here we have him falling asleep, end of the day super cute again. You know, most parents, when they post things online, these are the types of pictures that you'll see. You'll see the ones at the beginning or the end of the day where they're so cute and they're asleep and makes people think, man, I really want to be a parent. Well, as you see, there's a little more to it than that. All this to say, kids can bring out the best in us. They can bring joy, to our lives, sometimes even at the end of the day, Amber and I will talk and we'll laugh about those random spurts and the mischief that he's gotten in and the facial expressions that he shows when he gets caught, Um, things like that, they can bring out the best in us. Even in their mischief, they can bring joy to our lives. But at no matter what age, their desire to have their own way at all costs can also bring out the worst in us. It can bring out our fear, insecurity, anger. It can bring out ugly responses in ways that, looking back, we wish that we had handled in a different way. If we aren't careful, the day one agenda of our kids can lead us to respond in ways that will gradually lose our influence in their lives as they get older. And maybe when they are, you know, hit the teenage years, our responses over the years have caused us to lose control and to lose influence over our kids. For those of you who have kids who are adults, for those of you who are, are parents now and as your kids are growing up, I think the thing that we all have in common is When they are adults, when they get older, we want to continue having a relationship with them. We want to continue having influence and healthy conversations, things like that. So even when they're at the age of three, especially like at Oliver's age, he's starting to recognize things, and we want to be careful to respond to him in a way that is going to still show love because if we respond in a way that is out of control, I can begin to drive a wedge between us that will last for a long time. Now this isn't a, oh, I messed up, I responded in a wrong way, so my relationship with my child is ruined. Like that's not the case at all, you know, especially when they're younger, like they probably don't remember how you responded five minutes ago. Um, But when we continually respond in a wrong way and when we continually Kind of hurt our relationship with our kids, especially as they get older. Um, it can kind of hurt the future. Children are watching how we prioritize parts of our life and how we prioritize them. You know, this is especially true um, in my case with Oliver as he's turning three. Like, he is watching, he's listening to what we say, he's listening to um, the way we talk to each other. Um, Amber calls me David, so Oliver has started yelling randomly, David, when I'm not there. So he's like, where did he go? So Oliver is listening to the things that we say. Our kids are listening, and they're watching how we respond to parts of life, how we respond to them. Um, If you are a parent and you're married, they are listening to how you respond to your spouse, like, they're, they're listening, they're watching. When they see that they as children are the most important thing, they will take advantage of it. But on the other end, if they see that they aren't important at all and they're given zero attention, they will fight for it. Or when they're older, they will pull away altogether. So there has to be a tension and a caution in our life as parents and how we prioritize our lives and how we prioritize our families. And again, there is no like perfect right or wrong way, but that's a tension that we have to have and we have to continue to work through in the best way to relate to our kids and the best way to raise them and give them the attention that they need without maybe giving them the complete attention that they desire. I have to remind myself in time with Oliver in times that I'm home, that Amber and I were already a family before we had Oliver. Oliver was a welcome and exciting addition to our lives. But as Clark mentioned last week, the center of our family, the center of good godly parenting needs to be a healthy marriage. The center is not giving the child whatever they want, whenever they want it. The center of that healthy parenting is a healthy and godly marriage. Last week's message really built the foundation for this whole series, so if you missed it, I encourage you, go back, listen to it. This is a four-week series that I think really builds off of each other each week, so please don't miss any weeks of this. So as parents, we need to focus on loving each other and loving our child or our children You know, despite their faults and despite their desire to have control. This, again, is especially true if you have young children. So the first point, the first thing I want to talk about here is following Jesus will make you a better parent. Last week, we talked about a healthy marriage being that foundation. And honestly, the foundation of having that healthy marriage And being a good parent is living a good life that begins with a strong relationship with God. And this involves more than just going to church once in a while, it involves more than just going to church every week. When Jesus is your savior, he will be the focus of your life. And when he is the focus of your life, other things will begin to fall into place. When Jesus is the center, when he is what you focus and what you build your life around, your marriage will be healthier. You'll be better as a parent. That doesn't mean that you're not gonna mess up or respond in bad ways, but what it means is maybe when you respond in those bad ways, when you respond to your spouse in those negative ways, you're gonna catch it. You're gonna recognize it because God is gonna show you the ways that you need to grow and the ways that you need to change in your life. In Matthew chapter 22, we see religious leaders trying to trick Jesus. They're asking him some difficult questions, and they want him to try to catch him saying the wrong things. They wanted to test his knowledge of Scripture, his knowledge of the Old Testament. And in verse 34 through 40, Jesus really simplifies and nails down what it means to follow God. Verse 34 says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. They're plotting. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? He's like, Jesus will not have the right answer to this question because we're going we're to catch him off guard and he's going to say something wrong because then we're going to come back and we're going to say, no, that's not the greatest. This is the greatest. Or he's going to say one and we're going to say, no, they're all important. He's like, we're going to trick him. But Jesus replied. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first commandment and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Says all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So these two commands are the foundation of Christianity. They're the foundation of our lives as parents and as as Christians. When we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind, we will love other people, and we'll love our, our kids, and our kids will see Christ in the way that we talk to each other, in the way that we talk to them, in the way that we treat them. As parents and Christians, again, this should be the goal. This should be the foundation that our life is built on. This means that God and our relationship with him, and the time that we spend with him, and the thoughts and the prayers that we place on him, this will be the center of our lives. Jesus also laid the foundation for New Testament parenting, for parenting in the 21st century even, when he laid the foundation for New Testament behavior. In John 13, Jesus paved the way when he said, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The idea is that we will show other people that we are followers of Christ in the way that we treat them. When it comes to our children, coworkers, family, neighbors, and anyone else, this doesn't mean that we won't disagree with them. Loving others doesn't mean that we're always going to agree with what they say or, you know, with our children, we're always going to give them what they want or always let them do what they want. Instead, it means that we respect them and that we show love to them. Again, this applies to people that we work with, people in church, people in our families. Um, It means that we will respect them and show love to them. This is how people... This is how our children will know that we have a relationship with God. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians and how we should love other people. So we're starting, we'll just have two points from this today, but then we're going to continue this, as I said, over the next few weeks. This isn't written specifically to parents, but is extremely applicable to parenting in the 21st century. The first one in verse 4 of uh, 1 Corinthians 13 It says, love is patient. As a parent, love requires moving at someone else's pace. I typically move very quickly, and when I go to the grocery store, I'm the one that's like weaving in and out of people, and I get frustrated and impatient when people leave their carts in the middle of the aisle, or when people are staying in the middle of the aisle, looking back and forth and not letting people through. I move at a fast pace. But, When I'm with Oliver, I realize that I have to slow down. Sometimes we'll go on walks and, you know, we don't want our son running out out into the street. So we, you know, we'll hold his hand and things like that. And if I'm not careful, I'm walking at a faster pace and he gets stuck behind me. So I have to remember to slow down. Because when I refuse to move at his pace, and I push him beyond his capacity and his ability as a small child, I'm separating myself from him, and he gets upset. He tries to catch up, but he can't, and that's when he tries to break away and go his own direction. Colossians 3.21 says, "'Fathers, do not aggravate your children, "'or they will become discouraged.'" Honestly, you know, as those of you who are parents, and really those of you who aren't, you probably know this too, Like, parenting is hard. And especially when you have children that aren't exactly the same as you, which is pretty much all children, um, it is difficult to find ways to move at their pace. As parents and leaders, we have to be patient and find ways to challenge and teach our children without provoking them and without pushing them too hard. This may apply to potty training, academics, sports, where they stand in their faith, and anything else. We have to find ways to maybe challenge them some, but then still walk at their pace. When we show love and patience to our kids by walking alongside them and guiding them instead of pushing too hard, or me when I'm trying to walk with Oliver, dragging them along, we are more likely to maintain influence as they grow older, even into adulthood. So at times when we're struggling to have patience, we need to remember the fact that God is patient with us despite all of our faults, despite making mistakes and despite um, not following him to the um, extent that he desires. The second thing is, first is love is patient. The second one is, in verse four, is love is kind So the definition of kindness, kindness means choosing to loan someone your strength rather than reminding them of their weakness. When we're unkind to others, especially to our children, we show a lack of self-awareness in how our words affect other people. So something that some of you may know about me is I'm often a very sarcastic person, but I've learned as I've been older that I have to be careful who I am sarcastic to, and in the ways that I respond to it. Because some people, they recognize it, they know I'm sarcastic, and it's funny, but other people do not (laughs) recognize that. So it can be degrading and, and critical. So especially with our kids, it is important to not show sarcasm. Showing kindness is essential, because typically kids already know where and when they fail especially when they get older and into elementary school, and especially when it comes to middle school and high school, our kids already know when they fall short. And when we show kindness, we aren't reminding them of their faults. We're not reminding them of their brokenness, of their pain, of their um, regrets. We are coming alongside them. We're loving them, and we can help them figure out how to do better next time. Today, especially in the lives of teenagers, anxiety and depression are at an all-time high. An organization called One Hope did research with teens across the country, and they do it every single year, and they said that one out of four teens struggle with mental health and depression to different degrees. Andy Stanley said, like us, kids wake up every day wondering if they measure up. I think even as adults, we still wonder to a certain degree, do we even measure up? Like, where do we stand? When we go to work, sometimes it's easy uh, in certain situations to ask, like, did I even measure up? Like, am I okay? What did my boss think of me? Things like that. Kids wake up every day wondering if they measure up. He continues to say, they wonder if they have what it takes to make it. Every day the world makes Teens doubt themselves, especially when they fail, when they fall short or mess up. Other teens make teens wonder if they measure up, and they point out their failures. They point out their mistakes. Not even teens, but even even children. So as parents, it's important for us to loan them our strength and let the world remind them of the times they've fallen short. What we often don't realize is our words as parents hold more weight than we realize. And that weight can lift them up or tear them down even more than their peers. Showing love to our kids through patience and kindness, the hope is that they will see our love and that they will see the love of God in us. When children perceive their relationship with parents as close, affirming, And accepting they're more likely to to identify with their religious practices and beliefs, while relationships marked by coldness, ambivalence, and preoccupation are likely to result in religious differences. This is something mentioned by um, a guy named Vern Bingston in a book called Growing With, which I encourage all of you, especially if you have teenagers, to check out that book, because that is all about. Um, growing in faith with your kids and walking through the faith process with them, and in doing this, you will also grow in your faith and help be a guide to them. Um, those of you who are like, "Oh, I don't have any teens," if you have kids that are like nine or ten, they're about to be teenagers. I know it's hard, hard to recognize and realize, but um, but that's that's the truth. So that book is called Growing List, which is just amazing. When a child feels distant from a parent they tend to walk away from not only the parent, but what is important to the parent, including their faith. So to wrap up, if you want your kids to have a growing relationship with Christ, it is also vital for you to have a growing relationship with God. When you are following God and growing in your faith, you can love as he loves you. You can show patience and kindness to them, even in the difficult times and the times of struggle. So remember that your kids are watching and if you have a growing faith, they will see it in your lives and they are more likely to adopt that faith for themselves. So I challenge you, live a life that follows Jesus, a life that makes him a priority and builds relationships of love with our kids so that they can see the love of Christ in us. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for Um, this morning. I thank you for just the opportunity that we have to study your word, the opportunity that we have to um, be parents. And even if we're not parents, God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to have a relationship with you and to love others and show that love to them. I pray as we wrap up, God, I pray that you will just convict us as parents and as Christians on things that we need to do in our lives to Change and things that we need to do to adjust and grow closer in our walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.